Episode 46, Hey Love Podcast. Anything happening to you, the good, the bad, the ugly, I think that's something that we all need to to remember because we all have our goals and our things, our bullseyes that we're aiming for. When we don't hit that, we think we failed, you know. Right. And, And a lot of times, it's simply because there's something else that's supposed to happen, that's going to happen, that's going to be more kingdom oriented. Welcome to Hey Love, engaging you, the reflective woman, in soul care, spirituality, and social spaces through the grid of God's grace. Here, it's all about relationships. Hey Love, welcome. Thanks for coming back for more Podcasting Genius. I'm your host, Carthy Masters, and I'm so happy to introduce you to a close friend of the family, Gordon Kennedy. I know I'm always telling you that my husband and I are always arguing over who was friends first with my guests. Well, for sure, I lived here in Nashville for a whole three years before Nashville was even a glimmer in Blair's eye. He may be best friends with Blair, and they may talk every day or two, but I met Gordon first. He and his beautiful wife, Tracy, were sort of newlyweds living in a little apartment in Green Hills when I met them through some mutual friends at a party. I want to say this may have been 1987 or so, 30 years ago. Wow. Then a few years later, after Blair and I got married, Gordon was one of the first guys to volunteer to help us move back in the day, like 20-something years ago when our backs were sturdy and strong. Ever since Gordon got a cell phone, he caved, I think, finally last year. No, not really. He's had a cell phone for a few years. But anytime Gordon calls Blair or Blair calls Gordon, they have this funny little way of saying so much with so little. The way they greet each other, for instance, is one word. Eh. That's it. Just those two letters. It's the funniest thing. Whether they're talking or texting or leaving a voicemail even, that's their greeting. Eh. And sometimes, sometimes that's even the extent of their whole conversation. Oh, cracks me up listening to them. Gordon is really fun to have at dinner parties. He is the best storyteller I know, and he's so wise and so talented and so loyal. A few years ago, we got invited to yet another ceremony honoring Gordon for, I don't know, some achievement or other. He's always getting awarded for some contribution or school fundraiser or an event or I don't know. He does all over the place. He's so giving. He's great. Whatever. I told him after the ceremony that I was was really touched by the tribute that they put together because everybody in the video talked about what he meant to them relationally. They talked about him as a friend, a brother in Christ. I mean, these are all people who've worked with him, you know, in some capacity in the music business for the last 30 years or so. But every last one of them, artists, writers, producers, record company execs, label owners, music legends, they all spoke about Gordon as a person, as a friend first. The music was just, like, incidental almost. You know, it was the avenue by which they got to know the man. And, of course, his wife spoke, and that was such a sweet tribute, too. And then his dad. It was really an amazing night. I was so proud of my friend. 
He's probably best known for writing a little song back in the mid-1990s, you've probably heard, called Change the World with Tommy Sims and Wayne Kirkpatrick. It was cut by Eric Clapton, which was on the Billboard charts for over 80 weeks, I think. And it was number one for like 13 of those. It was also nominated for three Grammys, including Song of the Year. They really didn't think they had a chance, but they won, and they won real big. Gordon was a member of the group Whiteheart and has played for dozens of artists like Amy Grant, Susan Ashton, Twyla Paris, PFR, Stephen Curtis Chapman, Peter Frampton, Garth Brooks. Such a crazy, eclectic list. And it goes on and on. I think it's safe to say that one of the projects he's been really passionate about working on is Dogs of Peace, which is the band he put together with Jimmy Lee Slows. My Blair has played on both Dogs of Peace record. The first one was back in 1996-ish, I think, and the follow-up one uh, came a whole 20 years later. Yes, it took them two decades to do the second record. And Another project that Gordon is especially fond of is Mosaic, which he did with Ricky Skaggs. Today we're going to talk about all those things and also what to do with shattered dreams and how to respond when the answer to your prayer is no or when the answer is yes even. And then you go and you do the thing and then it doesn't turn out anything like you thought it would and you're like, Hey, God, I'm doing what you told me to do. How come you're not making this happen? Gordon's got a great perspective on on that, using tiles as a visual. Of course, you can't see it. This is a podcast. But I think you'll still get the picture. We'll also talk about the relationships that he's built along his path. Stick around. You're going to be glad you did. Here's Gordon Kennedy. Describe your favorite room in your house. My favorite empty room in the house is the studio down here because of the potential, you know. You, That's when an you awesome go picture. it's a it's a room where you go that there is a blank slate <clears throat> at the beginning of the day and mm-hmm. by maybe by the end of the day there's something that existed that wasn't there that morning when you walked into it. Um, nice. My favorite other room that's not empty would be whatever room Tracy's in. You know? <laughs> and that, that could be any room, you know. Sweet. Mm-hmm. Who was one woman who helped shape your character? My grandmother. She, I've heard stories oh, about your yeah, grandmother. she was a pistol. Oh, yeah. She, um, such a sense of humor to the point of where she even told me um, before she left this world that she thought God put her here to make people laugh. And then followed it up with, and I hope he's not mad at me for some of it. (laughs) That's awesome. So, but I mean, she's also the first person and key into Jesus. Mm. Because she would speak of him in such a personal way that she would have me looking around the room or wherever we were looking Mm. for him. I I was actually looking for him. He was a real person. Yeah, and so I, I was. I would be at church down in Shreveport, and she would be talking about him, and I would. The collection plate came by, <laughs> and they. She had put some money in my hand to give to Jesus, <laughs> oh. and I wouldn't let it go until I saw him, because, 
<laughs> I just I was like, well, I want to give it to him. You know, oh. I don't want to put it in there. I want to give it to him. Where is he? You know, but so, so she was somebody that that spoke that into my life before anybody else did and continued all her life, you know, mm. to do that. How long ago did she pass from life to life? Um, I don't, she was in her late eighties. Um, she's been gone 10 years now. Yeah. And that was a dynamic. I felt a, a shift in the, mm. in the earth, mm. you know, uh, the dynamic of my life when she died. Mm. A light went out. Yep. What's your favorite Bible study of all time? Or narrative or character or... It's the story of Joseph. It's, it's the story of Joseph because I have things in my life that parallel that mm. on a smaller scale. You know, I mean, I've not been thrown in prison or mm-hmm. accused of something I didn't do to, to the degree that he was. Mm-hmm. But it's the part of that story where you see anything happening to you the good, the bad, the ugly, mm-hmm. being able to be used for God. And his realizing that, always uh, um, connecting the dots at some point and seeing how, why he was thrown into a pit, why he was put in prison, and why he worked for Potiphar, why all these different things happened. It was all because he was going to be used for something good mm-hmm. at some point. And I think that's something that we all need to to remember because uh, we all have our goals and our things, our bullseyes that we're aiming for. Mm-hmm. And when we don't hit that, we think we failed, you know. Right. And, and a lot of times it's simply because there's something else that's supposed to happen that's going to happen that's going to be more kingdom-oriented than whatever your personal goal was. And I've learned that several times in my life to the point of where now I actually think I do a better job of stepping back when the answer is no, when I've, uh, when I've been so sure God wants me to do this. And then wait a minute, I thought you wanted me to do this, <laughs> you know, yeah. things that, that have happened. And so I'm able to step back and, and now when on the front end, it appears I'm going to be disappointed or it's not the way I thought it was going to go. My question now is, okay, what do you have? What what is it that you have in mind, other than what I did? And so that that's the story that sort of helps me uh, keep that's that. That's increased as, your faith so much. Oh yeah, you trust God mm-hmm. with the outcome, even when it looks so different than what you'd hoped for. Exactly, and I mean, everybody has that in their life. Mm-hmm. So many people have shattered dreams. I'm thinking of you know my listener in particular, who so much of the pressure is. If I don't achieve superstardom mm. by the time I'm 21 or 25, I've yeah, failed. Something's wrong yeah. at life. So, like you said, I mean, there are greater kingdom purposes in doing the small task in front of you, mm-hmm. and you know, especially for little kids, just to obey. But women who might be listening to this message. You know, I feel like that could really encourage them. The story of Joseph really applies because you don't have to have some grandeur mm-hmm. to be achieving the will of God. Mm-hmm. You kind of join him in what he's doing, and he already has a stamp of approval on you because if you know Jesus, if you yeah. believe, mm-hmm. you know, that's, he really makes it so easy to be a success. Yeah. 
but the world gives us a completely different standard for success. Right. I love the story of Joseph too. In this next section of the interview, Gordon is going to expound on our tendency to think that we failed when we find that things don't work out the way we'd hoped. And it gives us a practical encouragement to do what we know to do, the next right thing, when we don't understand, just in obedience. It makes me think of a little something that a mentor, a friend of mine, Jeannie Negley, told her kids a lot when they were little. Your number one job is to obey me and your daddy. I heard her say this to her kids, and at first I wondered, does that sound legalistic? But that would be incongruous with what I saw. It didn't feel that way at all when I was around her or her kids. They all seemed so happy and loving. There were four of them, these littles running around, and this mom, Jeannie, has always had such a loving relationship with all of them, and now they're all grown adults with their own families, and they're all crazy about each other. And looking back, I can see that when Jeannie said, your number one job is to obey me, it's it was out of a love relationship. Almost like, you know I love you, I know you love me, and out of that love, you're going you're gonna to obey me. It was more like a descriptive or indicative thing than a prescriptive or imperative thing. You know what I mean? It feels almost like, this is what's going to happen. You're going to want to obey me and your daddy because you trust us, and we want to take care of you. And so it is with our master, Jesus. He told his disciples something very similar to what Jeannie said in John 14. If you really love me, he said, you will keep and obey my commandments. Jesus wants us to come to him like we're little children. That's John 14, 15 in the Amplified Version. And As Gordon goes on, he's going to expound on this idea of doing the next right thing, obeying and prayerfully walking through the doors that God opens and remaining faithful to his leading, trusting him. I hear this theme of obedience throughout this conversation, even when you can't see the way or the why. He says in John 16, do you finally believe? I've told you all this so that trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured deeply at peace. In this world, you will continue to experience difficulties, but take heart, I've overcome the world. That's John 16, 31 through 33 in the message. So friend, I think all of this can be applied to our relationships too, because who hasn't experienced difficulties in relationships, right? Here's more of Gordon. What do you wish that you could tell the 20-year-old version of yourself, Gordon? <laughs> well, I mean, if I had that opportunity, I would go back and ha- I'd bring him a checklist of <laughs> you're going to encounter this, avoid this, you know, um, mm-hmm. make this other decision. I mean, so the hindsight would, you know, mm-hmm. would keep me just plenty busy mm-hmm. uh, with warnings and, you know, the whole thing, the whole idea of when it doesn't go your way, you know. I mean, our, our, the song Change the World is a great example of that story to me. That while, while we were over here recording that music and trying to get a record deal, all this pop music, um, when that kind of spun out of control and hit the wall, and you know, the, the guy at the label in New York heard Change the World and said, ah, I don't hear the hit, you know, 
Really? Oh, yeah. That happened. I didn't know that story. Yeah. And then Winona puts it on hold, and she was going to record it. And this is in 92. Wow. No, sorry, 93. And uh, we're told it's going to be a single, and she had some family turmoil and things mm. that happened in her life that caused the album to take two and a half years to come out. Mm. Then we watched them put out one, then two, then three singles that weren't Change the World. And, um, mm. and so at that point, after the label in New York said no to our group, and now Winona, mm. that's what we were, you and I were just talking about. We failed. And I'm in my 30s at this point, too. I'm not mm. 21 years old. But, I mean, same, it's the same thing, you know. Yeah. I, I'm looking at this like we failed. Yeah. Now, about the time Winona's album is coming out, Sparrow Records has asked me and Jimmy Lee Slos if we would do an album for them. And then Dogs of Peace album, 1996. We put out the Dogs of Peace. And wow. at first I was just answering the bell for a friend at Sparrow. You know, <laughs> oh, okay, I'll do that. You know, it'd been five years since I'd been in Whiteheart. I'm having this conversation with, God saying, you want me to have this platform again? Wow. You know, to speak this music into young people's lives. And and so I thought I was hearing yes to, mm. to do that. So I didn't just answer the bell at that point. I kind of poured my heart and soul into it. So Winona's thing over here, that's hap- you know happening and saying to me, what you thought was going to happen, it, it ain't going to happen <laughs> there, pal. You know, now I'm pouring my heart and soul into this Dogs of Peace project and Blair and John Hammond and Jeff Balding, Jimmy Lee Slos and I put this record together. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I, I, I'm supposed to be doing this again. And then we released the album. And CCM Magazine puts out a review of the album complaining that it sounds really? too much like the Beatles, too much like Pink Floyd, too much like oh. Eagles and all these other groups that you go, this is a problem, you know. Wow. And so we all were sort of legendary. politely shown the door and so now I'm looking at that and going, well, we failed again, Aww. you know? So it's like, and then I have this conversation. I thought you wanted me to have this platform again and share this message with people. I don't understand. <laughs> wow. And so, so Carthy, that fall, sorry, that summer, Clapton puts out Change the World. Unreal. And that winter, it gets nominated for a Grammy and we go to the Grammys. So we're up there thinking, and it's nominated for three Grammys, Pop male vocal for him, record of the year, which is one of the big four for him and Babyface, and then song of the year, one of the big four for me and Wayne and Tommy. And we go up there thinking, you know, he's got a shot at winning one of those (laughs) two things. There's no way we're going to win because in 39 years at that point, the song of the year had come from Nashville once. (gasps) You're kidding. Uh Uh-uh. Once. Wow. The wind beneath my wings. And so, so we're thinking, well, we're going to lose to uh, Because You Love Me, you know, the Celine Dion hit, and Diane Warren's the writer, and she's campaigns Huge. for this stuff, you know. And so we're just up there for the, you know, enjoying it. We're thinking also we're taking our wives because this will be the first time they get to enjoy the fruits of what we do. Aww. So that's why we're in New York City for the Grammys, and we win. Unbelievable. And so we go up on the stage. <laughs> And Wayne sticks his elbow in my rib cage when Gloria Estefan hands me the little stunt Grammy, the one they keep handing everybody over and over all night long. And Wayne, you know how shy, he says, you going to talk? <laughs> in other words, you walk the plank first, you know? Wow. So I, and I walked up to the microphone and said, 
First of all, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is strong, weak in no way. I remember. And then I made my little thank yous or whatever. So I go back to the hotel that night about 2 o'clock in the morning after the phone calls had sort of died down and finally, you know, 2 or 3 in the morning ready to put my head on the pillow. And then I raised straight back up and I said, you did want me to have this platform again. But the way God had it happen was I got a chance in 10 seconds to say that to 1.5 billion people. So much bigger. To have had a chance to say that message to that many people. Who probably wouldn't hear it anywhere. No. So, I mean, it's like (sighs) that was a, okay, so that's, now I'm not, like I said, I'm not thrown in prison and I'm not in a pit and I'm not, you know, being betrayed by my brothers and I'm not being accused of some crime I didn't commit and all. None of that stuff is happening to me. I'm just making music. But I've got these disappointments along the way. And so I would go back and tell my younger self, when that happens to you, just smile and wait. And it may not even be in this lifetime that you'll find out, but you Mm. will find out what's going on. You'll find out at some point. I remember that day, man. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> Jesus is strong. Weak in no way. Yes. That's such a great line. Mm-hmm. Well, Gordon, what do you hope that a close friend might say at your funeral? I just hope they're there. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they just show I, up. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to be writing somebody else's script, but I mean, oh my gosh. Um, I'll tell you something that I have enjoyed recently that might apply. And that's, you know, you're, you're in a Christian rock band for six years, making no money. You know. Traveling in a oh, yeah. little bus. Yeah. And, sleeping uh, on the road. Yeah. And two weeks in Australia, the first time we went over there, we traveled on a bus, did 12 shows in 14 days. No. And we traveled on a bus that had a fixed arm between the two seats, you could not lift. Oh. So there was no place to sleep after the shows every night. So, and I'm just, and I'm, again, I'm saying these are little things, you know, compared to things other people go through. But, but I did that for six years, you know, and I didn't even mean to join that band. You didn't mean to? No. It just kind of Dan happened. Huff asked me in 1984 if I would sub for him for three shows while he went and did <laughs> sessions in LA and I quit six years later. Amazing. But um, I got a letter about two or three years ago from this girl, woman, Mikhail Johnston, now Mikhail Johnston O'Neill. I hope this finds you. I hope this is your address. And if you get this, I just wanted to say thank you for being obedient to God. Wow. And she gave the date in 1985 when after a White Heart concert, me and my brother Brian, who went out on the road with us for a stretch to do lighting Lights. and tour management stuff, yep. prayed her into the kingdom. Really? And so I get this in a letter. Huh. 1985? Amazing. Yeah. Decades ago. Yeah. She's And she's telling me about her marrying a Christian man and having two children and how they're raising them Aww. and all this stuff. But the whole purpose of the letter was, thank you for being obedient to God, mm. you know. And so I, that, you don't know what that does hmm. for, for somebody that, because you spend six years going, why are we, why are we right. doing this? Why are we staying here? Why are we traveling here? 
you know, how did this get on the schedule or whatever? I mean, all that stuff that happens, you know, and then you see this. And that's happened to me a couple of times in the last few years to where somebody comes from the past to to tell you what the past was Mm. and why it was critical and why what you were doing, what it was a part of. And it's not, oh, my goals were being, you know, checked off and my bucket list stuff or my whatever. It was... That what again? What you were doing mattered. Yes. And so, and this is why it mattered. So, if anybody's going to say anything about me or whatever, I would rather them say something along those lines to where mm. something you did brought them, invited them mm-hmm. to what is it? You know, that is Be the there. most critical thing. So beautiful. Um, yeah, I mean, I, but I, I like I said, I, I'm not. I don't want to write some, the script for somebody what they're going to say. No, uh, but I, I like that because it's it's all about uh, you know the the small part that you're playing in helping to build the kingdom. And like you said, we don't see the result. And you've probably heard the illustration about God can see the right side of the tapestry, and all we see are the strings hanging down on the wrong side. Well, and the mosaic is another way to describe that, because in the mosaic, you are a tile, and I am one, and we're very consumed with what's going on inside our little tile. Yeah. You know, and then every once in a while, we'll get uh, a glimpse, a little sneak peek at why ours are close to each other. Mm -hmm. And, and, And then sometimes you can put together a little bit of a broader picture mm-hmm. of what's going on in the big picture. Mm. And he sees the whole picture at once, you know. Beautiful. Yeah. So, I mean, that's another thing to, to encourage us as to what's going on in our little tile, but that it's part of something else, you know, yeah. is huge. Transcendence. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm saying I'm in a place where What is your style of relating? Of course, you know, we would tweak this anyway because you're not an introverted American woman. Um, (laughs) I don't know. You know, Scotty Smith used to say something at church that I thought, oh, that's me a bunch of times in my life. And it's the Hmm. pasta slinger, you know. How does that work? Instead of sweeping something under the rug and going inside and not speaking about it, I'm more... Let's get this over with right now. Ah. You know, kind of a person. Um, and that's not good. It's not good to be that way. Um, I am somebody that in in conflict, I would, I would say I'm a fighter. I would definitely be a fighter more than a, you know, pacifist, you know, let's just sweep, s- or sweep it under the rug or just, yeah, yeah you know, make sure. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I think I'm more of a, well, I mean, my gosh, Irish, you know. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, yeah, you know. And in fact, you know what Kennedy means? What? The name Kennedy means ugly head, oh which, if, you know, before you think, oh, that's tragic, it's, <laughs> it's, it's that saying, it reared its ugly head. Wow. It means fighting mad. Mm. And somebody told me that from Ireland, and his name was Kennedy. Really? So we were having this conversation because, you know, and I said, well, you know, I've got the family crest on an Irish drum at home, and it's a shield with three knights' helmets. Hmm. And I said, "That's me and Brian and Shelby." Unbelievable! That's you know, the actual my, my three, shield? you know, the three brothers here, and uh, you know, we grew up fighting each other and <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. 
and love each other. So, you know, it's mm. all these years later, it's like, oh, we'd fight somebody else if you mess with the other them. two. Guys. Yeah. And we did that back then, too. You know, some some kid in Shelby's class, you know, picking on him. And mm. Brian and I went to the playground one day and that kid <laughs> vanished. He, I mean, he vanished. You know, so, I mean, we would do that for each other, too. But I think, you know, in conflict <laughs> or whatever, it's probably not always good with me. I mean, I, I would say I'm more of a fighter. Uh, and Pastor Scotty would say pasta slinger. That's cute. And, and so I'm a little more ramped up than I should be. Mm. So, but I'm not a sweep under the rug. And I yeah. mean, there, but I would say there are times in my life too, though, where it's a lot easier for me to just step away, go somewhere, solitude, and not, I'm not burying things or whatever. I think sometimes, you know, when you've heard people say, when, you know, when you're getting ready to say something, count to 10 or whatever, uh, that might be my version of counting to 10. I mean, it, so yeah. I think I try, I do do That's that good. every once in a while too, but I don't know if this is answering your question. Totally. It's great that you're in touch with, like when Pasta Slinger came out of Scotty's mouth, you mm -hmm. identified with it. Yeah. It's hard to recognize. Uh, for me, this past year, I actually... Uh, presented to Blair my idea for a New Year's resolution to have more conflicts with him. Not because I particularly enjoy conflict, but because I want to keep it short, short accounts. Right. And I especially want to model for our kids what resolution looks like, because that was never modeled for me or Blair. And um, the first few times we fought about anything, it scared the daylights out of me. I thought, oh, well, he's leaving. Oh, I'm, okay. You know, he, we're going to get a divorce. And hmm. I had no idea what to do with all that. So my yeah. fears uh, held me captive, and then it would blow up like a volcano. Yeah. And it just, oh, it was horrible. The first few years, I'd say the first 20 <laughs> were really bad. Only the first 20? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, we joke about it. I was in a bad mood for about the first 20 years. <laughs> I was in a so bad mood got, once for 20 years. <laughs> we've had four good years. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah. just—it's a miracle That's great. that God held us together. I'm so grateful. That's great, and it's gotten sweeter and sweeter. So, Gordon, tell me, uh, when did you first know you were in need of God's grace, your conversion story, when Jesus captured your heart? Well, I mean, again, my grandmother, the relationship, I don't remember a time when I didn't know who he was. Mm -hmm. I got baptized in a Presbyterian church when I was 14. So at that point, I knew I needed him, mm -hmm. you know. But then it would it would still be years, you know, after that, before I would start um, maybe living my life recognizing all of that, mm. you know. I mean, there's the, I know I need you, and I still want to do what I want to do, yeah. part of your life, you know. And, and that, I mean, that happens every day, but, but I mean, um, <laughs> but it's yeah, true. I mean, I got baptized when I was 14, and, you know, and like I said, there were, you know, a number of years after that where I would show up with my guitar at um, 
sing and share and where I went to high school at Brentwood mm. Academy. And I mean, of course, that environment is... Uh, it's like a greenhouse. It's the, the, spot, the philosophy of Brentwood Academy is a three equal sided oh, triangle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The basis the, down at the bottom is spiritual mm-hmm. and then academic and physical. And so that school was um, created that environment, you know, mm-hmm. devotions in the devotionals in the morning. Uh, of course, we were free to pray, you know, and before games, all that kind of stuff and had mm-hmm. godly people um, mentoring and teaching us and coaching us at that school. So, you know, I look back on those years and and think, you know, any time of, of my life when I was going the wrong direction, it wasn't because I didn't have the directions. Mm. I, I knew I had the directions. So, you know, it's just uh, the, the story of me and is always knowing and took a while before it was growing, you know, and something that I was applying in my life. And then, of course, I'd have to actually say when I joined Whiteheart, again, I backed into it. I did not intend to be in that group, but I'm a 24-year-old guy when I joined this Christian rock band and we're going out on the road and now I'm telling people Hmm. this message that I've been told all my life by my grandmother, by the church that I got baptized in and the high school that I am going to. I'm being fed all of this. And for the first time in my life, I am feeding this message to other people. And I think at that point in my life is where it it was sort of like, wait a minute, you know, it's one thing to have somebody sell you something or, or bring something and recommend something to you. But when you are the one selling something, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? You it's got a, ownership. It's right. And in other words, if I, and I love vintage guitars, but when I've noticed that when dealers, if I bring them a guitar that I want to sell, it's what's wrong with it. They tell me huh. it looks like it's been worn out, been mm. it's been dragged behind the car, or you know what I mean. All this, they'll say all this stuff. Then they'll take the same instrument <laughs> and turn around and put it up for sale and say it's been lovingly played. Wow! And it has a beautiful patina. <laughs> and I saw all the stuff they were telling you was wrong with it. So I, I'm just saying, wait a minute, how can you do? How can you be both people? So the same thing happens to me when somebody's giving me this message. You know, and to be receiving this message is one thing. But now when I'm going to be telling this message to somebody else, great point. there wasn't something, in, there was nothing, no part of me that would allow me to do that if I didn't believe it. Mm-hmm. And so it became so much more real to me at that point. And I think that was sort of a pivotal moment for me was when I was out. I mean, I was playing music. And that was fun. And, I, you know, what's not fun about that? But, yeah. I mean, we're actually praying for people after the concerts and, and people coming up and sharing their life stuff with us, you know, for this one or two hours that we would have right after the concerts at the record tables and uh. where they'd come for posters and records and CDs and things. And, and they would pour their hearts oh, out Oh, absolutely. You. You know, because you weren't a threat. Right. You would be pulling out that night and right. they could open up and tell you that everything. Yeah. So, their deepest, darkest secrets. But it, it was all 
very real. Yeah. When it when this was happening, it was all very real. Yeah. And to this day, I mean, there are still seasons of life doing the mosaic record with Ricky Skaggs. I tell you what, if I had not been real about it for the first 50 years of my life in the in my 50th year, I turned 50 when we were working on that record. If I had not thought that real when I was growing up in all those years, when we did that record, there's no way in the world that I would not believe now. Because <laughs> so I'm telling you, God will still, that was a season of life where God was choosing to be obvious rather than veiled in mystery. Mm. And so the, and we would see something every single day. So I'm telling you for, you know, for his, all the years of my life, my grandmother telling me who Jesus is, baptized at 14, joining a Christian rock band at 24. E- each one of those things, it's, it's never, that's all you needed. Mm. It's never, that was the one thing, that's all you needed, you're good to go. It was like it's layer st- by layer. Yeah, it still has to happen. It still has happened. We're yeah. actually supposed to renew ourselves daily. Mm. But there are times in my life where God comes in and makes sure that I know what's going on and gives me these little like we were talking like we've been talking this whole morning it's tiles in a mosaic you know yeah. he lets me see more of them all for a, for a minute i get this oh my goodness you know these things that happened when we were making that record so you know and I, the next time we talk i might say there was something that just happened that was really powerful i mean there's all they're gonna i keep thinking there's gonna i keep looking for it but, and it keeps happening there are things <laughs> that keep happening that solidify. Yeah, it makes me know, but also makes me know that I don't know. Mm. A lot of it is, you know, more than I can comprehend sometimes. Humility and a wonder as you grow in your faith. Absolutely. And in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's Mm -hmm. very beautiful. Can you tell us one story about uh, the recording time when you were working on Mosaic? I know you you told me before that every day in the studio something happened. Every day. So can you share one? Well, I mean, there are so many. Sometimes it make you laugh. Sometimes it make you cry. You know, I mean, we got seriously. We would walk into the studio every day, kind of looking around, like, <laughs> "What's okay. going to happen today?" I mean, Ricky described it at one point. He said, "It's like this." He said, "It's like this is a portal." Wow! For the season that we were doing that record, we would come in and something Ooh. would happen. I mean, just a quick example was him saying, "I know you played the baritone guitar on." on this one song, but would you mind? I just think there should be more of it. So would you mind if I did it again? And I was like, of course. (laughs) And so he fought with his guitar and amp that he would use for that for an hour, not getting the sound we liked for some reason or another. Hmm. And I said, you know what? Why don't you let me bring the amp and guitar that I used on the original part? Because at least we know that sound is what we're, oh yeah, I guess that makes sense. So I brought it the next day. He played, he was done in about 10 minutes. Oh, and he stood up and looked at that amplifier and said, well, I reckon I'm going to have to find me one of them amps, he said. I said, well, it's a 1963 Fender Vibrolux, and they only made them for two years, and there's, they're very rare and hard to find. And, but I can try to help you find one. And an hour later, Steve Warner called to say hi and that he had seen Ricky at the Opry. I heard about this album you're doing. I need to come hear it. And, oh, yeah, I forgot the reason I'm calling you. My son Ryan is selling a 1963 no. Fender Vibrolux amp. And I said, I can't believe you're saying that. That's so crazy. Th- those would be the things that would make us chuckle. And, it was, you know, like, okay. 
But then there would be things like going out to George Beverly Shea's home oh. in Black Mountain, North Carolina, and he's 101 wow. at the time. We asked him if he would sing. We had a couple of acoustic guitars in the recording year and asked him if, if he would sing a verse of I'd Rather Have Jesus. So oh we played my. guitar and he sang this big, booming Canadian baritone voice, you know. I'd rather have Jesus, mm-hmm. silver or gold, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then asked him if he would speak a verse. The next verse, would you just speak it, you know. And then mm. he did. I'm not sure which was more powerful, to mm. be honest with you. And then we said, one final thing. Would you be the bailiff in a court of law and announce to the room, all rise, because the judge is coming in. Would you just say to the room, all rise? And, you know, the first time he said it, he kind of went, all rise? You mean like that? You know, we have him recorded saying, all rise? Like, is that what you want? You know, he said, yeah, but, you know, you got authority over the room. And you you know who's coming in, you know. And so how, how would you say it? And he went, all rise like this yeah. and we were like oh that was it you know Boom. we take the the recording back to nashville this was on a weekend and the on that monday we went to mastering and we were over there with andrew mendelson at georgetown mastering and when we presented him the parts the the track and the parts for uh, this song called instead there's a string prelude lovely lush orchestral thing David Hamilton did for us, and um, and then there's a space, and then bam, the beat, the the downbeat of the song instead, mm. and and the whole thing is, you know, when I was brought to judgment, twas nothing I could say, guilty was the verdict. Still, I am walking free today. I am the chief of sinners, should have been left for dead. My penalty, death on a tree, Jesus paid instead, and so we wanted him. Because that's a, you see that in a courtroom or whatever. Mm-hmm. We wanted him to say, all rise. So we tried it in the space between the prelude and the downbeat of the song. Mm-hmm. And Ricky was like, yeah, I like that, but wonder what it would sound like if we put it in the prelude. And so, and now Andrew's doing this on a monitor. He's looking at it. He's not listening to it. The first place, he just drops it onto the screen. And we back up and listen and they play this long legato line, these nice, it just is beautiful. And then <laughs> as, the, as it settles, the piano is just seesawing between mm-hmm. two notes. It's going boom, 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 all rise. Wow. Like that. It was the rhythm and the two notes. That's great. Now, if we had gone to Black Mountain, North Carolina and said, Mr. Try George Beverly Shea, we want to do this. We might still be there. Yeah. That's crazy. But it just, but that was for that day. Oh. That was for that day. And then when we go to do the listening party, which, remember, over at Ocean Way, we're at the listening party. What happened? There's a room full of, I mean, this place is packed, and they all, there's a buffet of food sitting yeah. there. Nobody's going. They're all sitting in chairs listening to each song on the record and Ricky and I would say something before each song and then they would listen to the song. So they listened to the whole album and then Ricky got up and prayed a blessing for the food and everybody started making their way to go through the food line. We're at Ocean Way, which used to be a church, you know. Mm. And so 
now some people are in line to come by and shake Ricky's hand and hug him and say something about the record and all this stuff. And here comes his sister-in-law, Cheryl, from the Whites. You know, it's, it's uh, wow. you know, Buck, the dad, and the sisters. Sharon is Ricky's wife. And Cheryl, they sing, you know, in this group. And Cheryl is crying. Hmm. And he says, sis, what's wrong? And she said, she said, Ricky, I don't know how to tell you this, but I saw your mother and father in that stained glass window up there. What? Watching and, and smiling. What? Watching over this and smiling. They were just watching and they're both oh. gone, you know. And so Ricky tears up a little bit now, you know. Wow. And, and then she moves on and some other people in line. And then this guy named Brad who worked at the in the promotion department at Skaggs Family Records. Comes walking up, got this strange look on his face, like he's seen a ghost. And Ricky said, Brad? What? And Brad said, Ricky, he said, this is going to sound like a, a weird question, but how tall are your parents? Uh-uh. Yeah. And he said, again, with my parents? He said, what's it? And he said, well, they're like this tall, yay high, or whatever. And he said... Wow. I'm pretty sure I saw them in this stained glass window <laughs> up here and they were just looking in and watching and smiling. Same thing that Cheryl had seen. Wow. He had seen from a different part of the room. And that guy went home that night and had got on the phone with his dad long distance and talked till like two in the morning trying to settle him, oh, you know. That's it, beautiful. Yeah. So but I mean they were that's the kind of stuff we were seeing and experiencing mm. every every single day. We Whoa. we describe that record as being a record that we started working on, and after about two weeks, was a record that was working on us. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah, it's still one of my favorites. Oh, it's mine. Yeah, it's, there's oh, hard to find a more powerful project to, a to be a part of than that place spiritually. Yeah. Oh, isn't he great? I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. That mosaic record has touched people in such a profound way. And Gordon has said before, every road we've ever been on musically, our whole lives has led us to this work. He believes that he and Ricky were hearing the songs of heaven while they were putting this record together. I tried to listen to Mosaic while I was writing for this commentary, and it didn't work so well because I kept tearing up. It had been a while since I played it, and I found my posture would change just as it did the first hundred times before. I remember back when they were in the studio every day for months recording, and Blair, who had the privilege of taking part in those sessions, had great stories when he'd come home about how he was so enjoying the creative process with these guys. Brent King was the engineer, and all the guys are still talking about this record eight years later. Now there's actually talk about doing a mosaic, too. If you haven't heard the first one yet, you must download it today. It is an experience. I'm going to leave a link for you in the show notes so you don't have to write it down while you're jumping out of an airplane. Gordon and Ricky are actually going to be performing songs from Mosaic this coming Sunday at the Franklin Theater. It's the Rodeo and Juliet Variety Show. It's this adorable once-a-month tribute to American musical roots, and it is delightful. If you're anywhere near here, or even if you're not, get your tickets now. It's worth the trip. I think there's a handful of tickets left. So go online to Franklin Theater or Rodeo and Juliet 
and get your tickets. Could you relate at all to what Gordon was saying about things not turning out like you planned? Oh my goodness, I remember saying so many times, especially in my late 20s, early 30s, life is just not turning out the way I thought it would. Well, I hope his words encourage you today. If you've been pursuing a dream and it just keeps getting shattered, or if you feel like somehow you failed again at whatever you're shooting for, you're not alone in feeling that way. But don't camp there, love. Place your trust in God who orders all things, who positions each tile of the mosaic into place with loving care. Hang on, baby, it's coming. Along that same theme, I want to say this wild and crazy music business, it's like any other business in that relationships are key. I've heard my husband say countless times, He has mentored dozens of younger keyboard players. When they first come to town, he's often one of the first guys they call. And I hear him say all the time, just build relationships, man, wherever you are. That sounds an awful lot like something we say here all the time, bloom where you're planted. But that's not, he would never say it like that. (laughs) He'd say, build relationships and don't go seeking the thing. You know, don't go seeking to be a world famous session player or um, being a star or whatever the thing is. Just build relationships where you are, in your church, in your community, in your neighborhood, and do your job to the best of your ability. Keep practicing. And if it's meant to happen, it will. And if it doesn't, that just means that God has some other plan. It's just like Gordon is saying. This applies to you, no matter what you're doing, no matter what your dream. If you want to read a list of achievements like none you've ever read before, go to Gordon Kennedy's website. I'm going to include a link to a couple of the projects that he's mentioned because they are really special, and I think you'd really enjoy them. Gordon's charity of choice, it was comical. I mean, he I think he he could hardly even narrow it down to three. So I'm going to tell you what those are and link to those too. Here's the first one. It's HeimerdingerFoundation.com. And their mission is, I'm just going to read it to you. It says, we are dedicated to raising awareness in our community about healthy lifestyles and nourishing meal preparation. We strive to be a resource for those undergoing cancer treatments by providing guidance, support, and delicious organic meals to help patients fight cancer during a time when eating right can make all the difference. Isn't that awesome? What a great idea. Another one he champions is called Brightstone.org. And their mission, I'm going to read to you too, Brightstone expands the potential of adults with special needs by providing opportunities and solutions that enrich their lives. Brightstone gives each adult a reason to get up in the morning and something of value to do. Brightstone is in the life-saving business. They help these guys and girls who are challenged to develop mentally, physically, socially, emotionally, and spiritually. We know a couple of friends who've been involved in Brightstone and have benefited from their work. It is such a great thing they're doing. And the third one is AliveHospice.org. So go look up one of these charities. If one of those rings a bell with you, go with it. It's always good to, you know, this is a great time of year to explore with your kids involved how to give. Come back next week for part two of Mosaic with Gordon, where he'll tell us how life is like a line of dominoes. So good. 
That's next Wednesday. Join us for that. And now, here's our special announcer to read our new review. Take it, Blair. This review is by the Cullen fam. That is so heartfelt. Thanks. But I mean, did I say love it by the Cullen fam? Love it. I just stumbled across this podcast and have been catching up on past episodes every chance I get. It is so refreshing, yet raw, real, and redemptive. A total bright spot in my day. <laughs> Good job. Is that okay? Thank you, Blair. That's awesome. Thank you, Cullen fam. That means so much. Love that. Love hearing from you. Hey, after that one, I'm fresh out of reviews. <laughs> so after this, if you got something to say, I'd love to hear from you. Go back through your podcast app. And if you like what you hear here, then leave us a five-star review and a few words about maybe your favorite episode. That would be great. I really appreciate you. Thank you for the feedback you have been giving. It means so much to know that someone's actually out there listening. You know, because all I see here is the inside of my closet. So write in, comment on Instagram or Facebook. Be in touch if you've got an idea or a suggestion about questions you'd like asked. Let me know. Just some little ways for you to live out love. Till next time. Bye, love. My thanks to the heroic, handsome, most talented rock star, keyboard player, producer, engineer extraordinaire, and my best friend, Blair Masters, for setting it all to music. And thank you for joining us. Come on back, and we'll talk more about how you can find your happy by living life more connected. Presented to Blair my idea for a New Year's resolution to have more conflicts with him. And well, especially, you're gonna, that's going to be tough with Blair. <laughs> How do you do that? No, it's not. He actually can be a fighter. He's got a little Irish in him, too. <laughs> <laughs>